This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, this is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Tom, Richard and myself have been up to Thursday, the 8th of December, when we have been on Xi Watch because Xi Jinping has had the purple carpet rolled out for him in Saudi Arabia. We've been having a look at the economics of China, including that new export and import data that has flustered the markets and oil prices somewhat, and had a look at what his visit could mean for the region. Particularly, we've been Speaking to Patrick Zhang in Hong Kong. He is a private family office investor uh, and he is, in fact, travelling to Saudi Arabia tomorrow for some of the meetings that uh, will be held there in honour of Xi Jinping's visit. We've also had a massive investment focus on the show this morning, speaking to not one but two heads of investment from major banks. Miguel Azevedo is the Managing Director and Head of Investment Banking at City for the Middle East and Africa. He's been in telling us whether or not he thinks our IPO pipeline for next year could be as punchy as the one that we have seen in 2022 and sharing his insights into which sectors are likely to be the most prominent when it comes to new flotations. We've also been speaking to Manpreet Gill. He's the Chief Investment Officer for the Middle East, Europe and Africa at Standard Chartered, bringing in their new research into what investors are worried about at the moment. They spoke to higher net worth investors, but spoiler, what they're worried about is pretty much the same as all of us. Inflation and what's happening with the global economy. Let's talk about China because Xi Jinping is in Saudi Arabia this time yesterday. I had no idea about this. Obviously, it's been planned well in advance, but it came as a bit of a surprise. This is the headline on Bloomberg. Saudis roll out the red carpet for Xi Jinping. Two months after the US President Joe Biden was in the region, Xi Jinping is visiting Saudi Arabia. And it's not just a flying visit, is it, Brandy? He's here for four days, arrived on Wednesday. He's here till Saturday. Uh, Yep, I'm just reading about all of the pomp and circumstance and actually investigating the rumour that it may have been a purple carpet. I heard that as well. I'm trying to find out the significance. It's a new one on me. But we've had, certainly the the Air Force was out in full force. We've had... um, like the, the acrobatic Air Force was out in force. Mm-hmm. So we had red and white plumes of smoke for the China flag. We had obviously green for Saudi Arabia as well. But he's here for a significant amount of time. So he's going to take part in a regional summit with, of course, Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince. But it also says other Arab leaders. Let's get the thoughts of Jean Walters, economist at Emirates MBD. And we asked her, what's on the economic agenda for President Xi's visit to Saudi Arabia? China's President Xi Jinping started a state visit to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia yesterday. China is already the kingdom's largest trading partner with bilateral trade with 87.3 billion US dollars in 2021. The two countries are set to deepen these existing ties during the visit with some news outlets suggesting that deals worth $30 billion could be agreed, likely focusing on energy and infrastructure. Reports suggest that there will also be discussions which aim to harmonise China's Belt and Road Initiative with the Kingdom's Vision 2030 plan. Big words coming out of China. Mao Ning is with the Chinese Foreign Ministry. He's a spokesperson there saying the summit will be a landmark in the history of sino 
Arab relations. Yep, and the purple carpet, incidentally, um, is a thing of great significance. A number um, of uh, Arab press and indeed the national picking up on this because the Ministry of Culture um, in Saudi Arabia has been speaking about why the purple carpet. Um, They say the lavender carpets are identical to the colour of the kingdoms, deserts and plateaus in the spring. There's a lot of ties into uh, nature and some traditional uh, Bedouin weaving as well. We'll have more on that throughout the, well, not just throughout the show, but throughout the week on the Business Breakfast and, of course, on the ARN News Centre app as well. Let's turn to our Asia correspondent, Thomas Urquitz, with us in the studio. Morning, Tom. Morning, all. Just returned from Japan, flying visit there. Mm -hmm. What news from Tokyo? Ah, business is booming. Yeah, the industry, uh, uh, the, the the economy seems to be. Yeah, it's just busy, busy, busy. Uh, no sort of moans of growth. Uh, the, I suppose one thing that uh, really struck me was mask mandate. Um, whilst we have sort of moved on from the mask mandate, Japan has not. Is that right? Yeah, but not out of out of choice more than anything. So it's not you're not you're not forced to wear a mask, but you are asked to wear a mask if you wouldn't mind please uh, so it's a really strange one because uh, the japanese per se are all walking down the streets and walking around in masks and then anybody that's visiting is not um and it's really quite noticeable so i found myself sort of putting on a mask just to blend in a bit more so you were at a big event the reason you were there for a day and a half was to host a, a high profile event there fine if you look at the when you looked out at the hundreds of people or thousand people in the audience, what percentage would have been wearing a mask? Uh, so at the event itself, zero uh, percent. Uh, but in terms of out on the streets, uh, heading out for lunch, um, heading back to the airport, in the airport itself, uh, just in general, everyone's wearing masks. Uh, and again, it's out of a choice. And uh, are we that surprised? No, because uh, many Japanese were wearing masks before we even knew of COVID, didn't we? I was going to say, yeah, there's countries where, particularly if you're on public transport, actually, and you're in Hong Kong or Singapore or wherever, um, mask wearing was a thing long before we'd even started discussing COVID. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think it is part of the culture there. Um, and they're so polite about it. They're such a polite uh, people as well, where you get to the airport and you get to customs and they say, um, are you feeling all right? And I think, and I think <laughs> just got off a 12-hour flight. I think so. Yeah, um, give us an hour or something. I've been upstairs at the back for an A380 yeah, for nine well, hours. How do you think I feel? If you, if you, uh, as long as you're feeling okay. Um, and if you wouldn't mind wearing a mask, that would be appreciated. Okay, fair enough. That was it. Put one on. Other stories we're looking at today, UAE foreign trade. Booming numbers announced by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid yesterday. Foreign trade said to jump 15.15% this year reaching $2.2 trillion. So, again, we've been speaking to Jean Walters, economist at Emirates MBD. What is driving this strong 2022? But what can we expect for next year? The rise in value of non-oil trade to 1.6 trillion dirhams in the first nine months of 2022 may be in part a reflection of higher commodity prices, which will have increased the nominal value of trade. However, given the solid non-oil growth seen in the UAE this year, we would expect imports to have risen in real terms too. China and India are the UAE's largest non-oil trade partners. There have also been a number of bilateral efforts to boost trade and investment in recent years, including the signing of 22 comprehensive economic partnership agreements by 2031. 
Looking forward to next year, we would expect global trade volumes to slow as several large economies enter recession. Sean Walters, economist at Emirates MBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Crossing live to Hong Kong now, Patrick Tsang is in Hong Kong. He's a private equity investor, joins us now on the line. Patrick, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Morning, how are you doing? Really good, thanks very much indeed. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. I know it's a busy time for you. We're excited because Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, is in Saudi Arabia. He arrived yesterday amid great fanfare and he's going to be here for four days. Of course, it's important for Saudi Arabia, but he's meeting Arab leaders in general. And just to repeat the comments that we were reading earlier on from Mao Ning from Chinese Foreign Ministry saying it is a, quote, landmark in the history of Sino-Arab relations. From your perspective in Hong Kong, how significant is Xi's visit? Uh, I think it's very significant. In fact, I'm actually making a trip today to arrive in Saudi tomorrow to attend some of the meetings. So I think it's a, a amazing time for both countries, for both uh, continents, probably since the Silk Road, to, for this relationship to, to prosper, obviously because of uh, obvious geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China, also, you know, the, the recent Ukraine war and the crisis in Europe, it's made um, China look for other strategic partners. And obviously, the, the trade between the two countries has been growing significantly, including um, since the Ukraine war, I believe that China has been buying oil and gas from Saudi and paying in renminbi in, in uh, the Chinese yuan currency. And also, vice versa, Aramco and other Saudi entities have been investing a lot into China, I think, into other oil refineries and other investments into China. So the so the relationship is reciprocal. Obviously, I think the news have been saying a lot that there's going to be like about $29 to $30 billion worth of deals to be signed during this trip. So I think we're going to see a lot of action um, in the next year or two between the two countries. And I think this will be a major accelerator for um, the economy lift in the region. And I think that might even trickle to the UAE where, where you're speaking from. Well, well, that's interesting. We haven't had any official word yet about what kind of UAE delegation will be will be going there. We know that when Joe Biden was in Saudi Arabia in the summer, then His Highness, uh, the, the President, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, did go and met Joe Biden there. So we'll see what pans out there. there clearly, there will be a UAE delegation there, but we don't know quite what it will be. But in terms of us in, in the UAE and our relationship, with China. How are you reading that one? I think the UAE, uh, we, we, during the COVID times, we, we actually set up our own family office. I think we're the first Asian family office to set up in the DAIC in, in Dubai. We're looking to set up uh, a regulated business in ADGM in Abu Dhabi. So we're very confident of linking Hong Kong to the region uh, for more investments and more collaboration. So I'm very confident that UAE will do very well itself in the region not i think it's a competitor to saudi and vice versa i think it's a very complementary relationship because it's two different kinds of value i think china and asia respects that and i think there's uh, a lot of value to be created in the next one or two decades it's interesting patrick that you were talking about moving your or, or setting up your family business and base in the difc in dubai just a couple of weeks ago we read that multi 
Bank Group from Hong Kong. Massive derivatives company, $12 billion a day of turnover, not just setting up in Dubai, but moving its headquarters from Hong Kong to Dubai. Can you just give us the 30-second pitch, what is your organization, and tell us a little bit about that, and then explain why you decided that you wanted or maybe even needed a base in Dubai? So we're a single-family office, uh, four-generation um, family investing, starting from you know F&B restaurants to property. And now we only invest in technology, where we try to invest to create value to you know make the world a better place by investing into projects which create positive impact and influence. Um, we started off in Hong Kong. We have offices now in London, in Dubai, in Singapore, and obviously in China. Um, Hong Kong is the you know the roots of the family where we have our core values. But it's a truly global world, and in order for us to make the best kind of um, investments we have to be everywhere and obviously dubai has been uh, super happening and do, did really well during the pandemic and now it's uh, reaping the rewards uh, because of the political uh, neutrality of uae is able to attract all kinds of talent and investors from all over the world and we need to be in the thick of that action Patrick, going back to the visit of Xi Jinping to Saudi Arabia, and you touched on, I think it was $35 billion of deals set to be announced, might be a bit more, might be a bit less. But of course, those big almost government-to-government or quasi-government-to-government deals are going to be done. But what does it mean at a, at a tier or two down from that for companies doing real business, large companies or small to medium-sized companies? Will there be a ripple effect for them as well? Absolutely. I think there'll be a, a massive ripple effect. But obviously, the, the G2G will happen first. The big companies will come in second. And then once things become a bit more open and a bit easier for you know SMEs, companies to come, then I think the ripple effect will come. But it, it might not be as fast as, as what they want, but it, it's coming. Finally, Patrick, before we let you go, a quick word on what life is like on the ground in Hong Kong. Reading this morning the main headline on CNBC, Hong Kong stocks gain by 3% amid reports that COVID restrictions will be eased in China and Hong Kong. There's talk of removing some of the mask restrictions. What's it like at the moment? I mean, can you travel? Could you could you go on holiday to Los Angeles tomorrow if you wanted to? And how do you see that panning out? So right now, um, there's been a significant improvement in the last two years. Right now, there's no actual quarantine. Anyone can visit. When you land, there's only the first three days you, you can't visit restaurants and bars, but otherwise you can have meetings, you can go to people's homes, so effectively you can get business done. I think a lot of tourists are, are still shied away from this, but I think very soon this will change. Uh, I've also been speaking to the government people here, and they've decided that um, they will open up and ease over time, but exactly when, no one really knows. But I'm very confident uh, myself that Hong Kong being what it is, it's, it's like London, New York, you know, you can't write off these kind of places that they will always come back, but probably in a different way. But I, I believe this will be much stronger and we will be competing with places like Dubai and Singapore very soon, but in a complementary manner. And you're jumping on a plane to Riyadh in the next few hours. What are you hoping to achieve, Patrick? Um, I, I've been to Saudi recently in the last six months a few times. I'm going to spend a significant more time in both Dubai, Abu Dhabi and Saudi next year. And I believe that uh, the opportunity is immense. This, um, it's, it's something like how the UAE and China were like, you know, 20 years ago when things were opening up. And I think Saudi, this is, this is the time to, to go in. And I'm very excited to meet some of the government, government people as well as the business community to discuss some of the projects we're looking at. 
Patrick, wish you well on your journey to Saudi Arabia this week. Enjoy that with Xi Jinping, the Chinese Premier, who's going to be there. And when you're in Dubai, uh, do please pop in and see us at the Business Breakfast. That is the voice of Patrick Tsang. He is an investor based in Hong Kong. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are joined by the Chief Investment Officer uh, for this region at Standard Chartered because they've just done a new survey uh, looking at what it is that is keeping UAE and other investors awake at night. Uh, Manpreet Gill, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, Thanks very much, Mandy. Pleasure to be here. So you guys at Standard Chartered have been speaking to investors about their biggest concerns. And unsurprisingly, they line up with a lot of people's concerns at the moment. Remind us what they're worried about. Well, the overwhelming one is inflation. Uh, Unsurprisingly, around the world and here in the UAE, that's been the number one concern for investors, Um, you know, just keeping up with prices. Um, But, you know, there are a couple of others as well. Um, You know, we've seen um, obviously quite a bit of volatility in many asset classes and what we're seeing in equity markets, the weakness. I think that's another one and and, and sort of whether investment strategies need to be rejigged in the light of the year we've just had. Are they rejigging? Are they changing their investment strategies on the back of these concerns? Well, absolutely they are. Um, I think there are a few trends that come through quite clearly. Um, One is, as we discussed on equities, a lot of questions being asked about whether equity allocations should be reduced or kept where they are. Uh, But interestingly, uh, a lot of questions about cash, Um, you know, whether cash holding should be reduced because when you're in a high inflation environment, cash, you know, doesn't earn you a high enough return. So a couple of interesting trends. I'd argue the cash one's uh, actually a positive outcome. Uh, the equity one I worry about a little bit because if inflation is, you know, the goal into beating that, uh, equities actually can be a great place to be. Well, let's dig into that in a little bit more detail because um, cash is also what people often hold when they're a bit nervous and nearly every asset class at the moment, as you say, has not just been volatile, um, but is significantly down. Does holding cash at the moment, keeping your powder dry, not make a bit more sense? Well, within a limited extent, yes. But I think when we look across the vast swath of investors, uh, on average, investors here in the UAE and elsewhere hold far too much cash. Um, And yes, you have periods of time like the year we just had where cash was not a bad place to be. Uh, But when you look through longer periods in history, uh, the only high probability event is that you know, cash is like to underperform pretty much everything else. Because uh, of inflation. Because of inflation and, and because, uh, it, you know, other asset classes ultimately offer a return in excess of cash. Uh, you know, you're getting paid for taking on the risk. So if you're an investor looking to sort of beat inflation long term, your chances of doing that are arguably lowest in cash over the long term and, and higher pretty much everywhere else. So where are you seeing people put or not put their money in terms of equities, particularly as you've, you've pointed out, you know, low prices at the moment could be buying opportunities? Uh, absolutely. I, I think that, that what's important is sort of uh, looking at a couple of different areas. So within equities, of course, investors are looking around the world. They're looking at thematic opportunities like ESG. Uh, you know, they're looking, of course, at regional uh, sector opportunities. I think that's sort of par for the course. Um, but actually, they're also looking at income assets. I think within the equity space, they're dividend yielding equities, uh, but actually income assets more broadly, because the, a lot of investors look at the, with the big opportunity today in the high bond yields. And we see that in, in yielding equities, but we see that across the income space and in high quality bonds, uh, you know, income assets, you, you actually don't have to add on a lot of risk to get a pretty attractive yield in today's markets. Outside of your actual survey, but with the customers that you speak to, what about the appetite for investing locally? 
No, local markets, there's always appetite. And actually, it's interesting. You know, I think I was last in the studio a few years ago. Compared with that time, I get far more questions about local markets uh, than I did, uh, you know, let's say three to five years ago. And to an extent, that's a sign of obviously market maturity. Uh, and it's natural to invest obviously in their home markets. But I think equally, it's important to take advantage of the opportunities to diversify globally, not just in within equities, but across asset classes. I think those diversified, uh, you know, portfolios, particularly when you're looking for income, uh, you know, it makes sense to look around the world across different asset classes to find the best opportunities. Well, what about gold, the traditional hedge, given the volatility that we do have? Well, you know, gold has been, it, it's always there in most sort of individual uh, portfolios. Um, but, uh, you know, we have a, a what I call a core, see it as a core holding, a solid core holding, uh, but it perhaps it's not quite made out to be the, the, the safety hedge and the hedge against inflation to the extent that's made out to be. Um, you know, it, the year in 2022, for example, rising bond deals can actually be a big headwind for gold. Um, and we think that will actually reverse in 2023. So it may not be a bad time to hold a small amount of gold in portfolios. Uh, but when we think about inflation hedge, for example, that's the number one concern for, for investors. Um, actually, a lot of other asset classes, whether it's real asset classes like real estate, private assets, or indeed even just you know, public equity markets can often do better as an inflation hedge. One of the most surprising things for me in, in your report was that despite the year that crypto has seen, and I know that you spoke to investors before the collapse of, of FTX, uh, but we're still very bullish on the crypto market. It hasn't spooked local investors. Why not? No, it, uh, you're absolutely right. I think that's where investors in the UAE stand out in particular as being having the greatest interest of, of, of pretty much most regions uh, in terms of digital assets and crypto. Um, I, and look, I, I think it's, it comes from the another theme comes coming through the report that there's much more interest and willingness of local investors to invest in new trends and and what sort of you know uh, you know uh, taking risks basically with what's new and what could perform well in the future. I think in crypto though we we sort of treat that with a little bit of caution. Uh, absolutely, there may be sort of a few uh, an interesting future here, but we actually think regulation and the form it takes will actually be a big driver of what the asset class does in the coming years. Uh, we have a pretty short history. It's it's a relatively new asset class, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, we've got sort of forty seconds before we have to let you go. Um, so what are you advising people to do at the moment? If a listener, and Richard's going to play a disclaimer after this, um, has one takeaway from, from what you're doing, what, one or two takeaways, what should they be? Well, I think number one is is get and stay invested. I think reducing those cash allocations and putting it into work is the number one thing to do. Second is uh, right now we'll be looking for income assets. The big opportunity we see in markets today is just the level of yields, whether that's in high quality bonds or riskier assets. And the third one is not to ignore equities. Uh, I think a, a, a good buying opportunity will come broadly, especially if we go later in the year and especially if we see a recession. But there are pockets of value. And I think EM and Asian equities are a great example of that today. Manpreet Gill is the Chief Investment Officer for Africa, the Middle East and Europe at Standard Chartered. Thank you for your time. Investments go up and investments go down. Before putting your hard-earned money into any investment, Dubai Eye 103.8 advises you to always do your own background research. Ensure you're informed to navigate the market and any potential pitfalls. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, it is that time of year. We are taking stock on taking stock uh, because we're looking at what 2023 could hold for the IPO market this morning. Uh, Extremely pleased by our guest who, as Richard said, has been in Brazil, has been in London. That's just this week. But now he is in the Business Breakfast studio. Miguel Azevedo is the Managing Director and Regional Head of Investment Banking for City. Miguel, it's lovely to see you. Thank you for having me here. 
Good morning. And at our taking stock time of year, it's time to see what Santa might have in his stocking. Ho, ho, when it comes to IPOs in the new year. We have seen a massive number of IPOs comparative to, to what's been going on globally in the UAE 2022. Do you think that's going to continue into 23? I think so, actually. Uh, the reasons why we have had all these IPOs happening the last 12 months and even slightly before is there's a fundamental change in the region, both in terms of supply and demand. In terms of demand, there's a lot of liquidity from local investors, institutional and retail investors, which is new. There's also a lot of interest from outside the region on, on the region. Global investors are setting up a shop here in the region, namely here in Dubai. They're looking in, into the region. So there's a lot of demand. Now, for IPOs, we also need supply. We need someone to sell the shares. And what we have seen more recently here in Dubai, for example, is more the government-led transactions. What I think will happen in 2023 is a little bit of a continuation of this, but also family-owned businesses and even tech and tech-enabled businesses to come to the market. So that's kind of a, a taking the market to a new level where you, don't, where you have real uh, family-owned businesses using the markets as, uh, as a way of raising capital, as a way of bringing longevity uh, into the company, as a way of planning su succession. So I think it will be very, very exciting. And I think this, this will be um, true for uh, the three markets, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and Saudi. Let's break that down a little bit, particularly when it comes to sectors, because we've seen quite a quite a sector focus happening uh, between Dubai and Abu Dhabi, haven't we? A, a difference in the kind of IPOs that have come to true. market this year. True, true. So sector-wise, you have seen primarily in Abu Dhabi sort of a oil and gas, energy, chemical uh, pillar. In Abu Dhabi, you have seen utilities, very defensive stocks. Dubai. What in Dubai. And in Saudi, you have had a little bit of everything. Uh, energy, retail, consumer. It's a more mature market, let's be honest. Um, what I think you will see is uh, more uh, everyday life uh, stocks coming to the market. Uh, retail, uh, entertainment, hospitality, uh, uh, things like that. Not necessarily only industrial stocks, but more... Uh, consumer-focused stocks. What's going to make the family companies that have a, a lot of the, like you say, the retail, the, the entertainment holdings here, what's going to, to make them make that shift to the market? What do they need to happen? What do they need to feel comfortable about? Well, they need to be comfortable that after the IPO, there is liquidity in the market. Because one thing is doing the IPO, the other thing is becoming a listed company. And what we have seen is that liquidity has improved a lot in, in these markets. So people feel confident that after the IPO, the stocks will trade in a, in, a, in a proper manner. I think that's what's missing here. What about the tech stocks, which can be, tech IPOs can be a lot more volatile than, yes, than other correct. IPOs. Correct. Uh, again, what do we need here in terms of, of infrastructure, even small caps, to, to get that flow moving? I, I think we have to be very selective on the tech companies we bring to the market. If we bring companies that are 
not profitable, very far from being profitable, we run the risk of the market don't understanding them. So we need to bring companies that are already profitable or very close to that. So sort of a, a, a bit more defensive, but still with a lot of growth, which is typical of tech stocks. So the, the proof is in the pudding, really. So we have to be careful on which companies we bring to the market. Are you talking about our bigger tech companies, our unicorns, those that have already been definitely successful? Definitely unicorns, in meaning you know, definitely above $1 billion valuation. I don't think you should bring to the market a company that is below $1 billion valuation. So far, we've been bucking the trend, as we mentioned, when it comes to, to bringing IPOs to, to markets. And we were joking yesterday that decoupling has become sort of our, our word of Q4. The, the fact that the markets here tend to behave very differently to, to markets elsewhere. How long can that continue? Yes, uh, that's true. It cannot continue forever. Uh, we are part of a global world. But the reality is what we have seen over the last six to nine months is a net transfer of wealth from the rest of the world into this region. So decoupling has a very technical reason behind it. Uh, I think things will normalize. Oil prices will come down probably you know, to the 70, 80 uh, mark. Uh, that's fine. That's not the reason why this is happening. Uh, obviously, if oil price goes down to 20 or 25, it will affect the region. But I don't think that the region is far more than oil uh, prices right now. Oh, you have, as, as Richard mentioned, hopped off several planes in, in the last 48, 72 hours. You've been in Brazil. You've been in London. What are the institutional investors there telling you about what they want to see from, from these markets and what's going to get them to put more money in? Well, they need to see... Uh, they need to see growth effectively, and in this in this region, you have growth. You have you have this these uh, economies are transitioning to a new model. Take Saudi for example. What's happening there is, is remarkable. It's just creating a whole new country, society, market that creates opportunities, that creates needs for capital, and will provide returns. That's what people are looking for: is ex, uh, you know exciting returns, and the region is also. Uh, a dollar-packed region. So in a sense, it's the best of both worlds. You have the gross element of emerging markets, but you have dollar-packed um, uh, currencies, strong currencies. So, so far, so good, really. 30 seconds left with you. I'm going to speak to Standard Chartered a little bit later this morning. They've got a survey saying that um, investors are changing their strategy because of concerns about inflation, concerns about a potential global Recession. Are you seeing any of that yourself? Oh, definitely. I, th I think people are, um, are a lot more cautious. People want stocks that are uh, backed by strong cash flows, that are safe in a, an inflation environment. So, you know, those crazy days of gross, gross, gross are gone. Now is uh, profit, cash flow uh, and sustainability. Miguel Azevedo, Managing Director and Regional Head of Investment Banking at City. We appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.